Thank you for listening in to the Cornerstone Baptist Church podcast. For more information, visit our website at cumberlandcornerstone.org. And I invite you to take your Bibles this morning and turn to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. We come this morning to the second commandment that uh, uh, the Lord gives to Moses there on Mount Sinai. And just to, to understand again, last week we saw the first commandment lays the foundation for all the other commandments. And uh, with that being said, uh, they build on top of one another. And so we're going to just read uh, beginning in verse 1 and see the first commandment leading right into the second commandment. It says, God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You know, the story is told of a little boy, and I'm sure it's a, an a, uh, apocryphal story, but a little boy by the name of Johnny. And Johnny wasn't a very good little boy, but Johnny wanted a bicycle. And uh, Johnny was hounding his mom and dad for a bicycle for Christmas. And uh, his parents didn't have a whole lot of money, but they really didn't want to give Johnny a bike because Johnny hadn't been a very good boy that year. And uh, so uh, he kept hounding his parents and hounding his parents. And finally, his mother said to him, Johnny, she said, it is Christmas time, but we don't have a lot of money this year and and we're not going to be able to get you a bike. Maybe you should ask Jesus for a bike. And Johnny thought about that, and, and she was hoping that Johnny would think about his behavior as he was thinking about Jesus and, and realize that he hadn't been a very good boy. And so he went back to his bedroom, and, and instead of praying, he decided to write Jesus a letter. And he sat down and he said, Dear Jesus, I have been a really good boy this year. Please give me a bike. And... As he thought about it, he realized that really wasn't true, and, and his conscience was kind of getting the best of him. So he, he tore up the note and got out another piece of paper, and he said, Dear Jesus, I've been an okay boy this year. Please give me a bike. And his conscience once again got the best of him. And he realized, you know what, I, I haven't even really been an okay boy this year. And he got thinking, but I really want that bicycle. And... Uh, And he thought about it for a while and finally got an idea. And he went out into the family room where the Christmas tree was and the nativity scene was underneath the the tree. And he looked at that nativity scene and finally he reached down and he grabbed the statue of Mary. And he took it back to his bedroom and he sat on his bed and looked at the little figurine of Mary And he got up and he went over to his dresser and he got out a pair of socks and he took Mary and he put her down in the socks. And then he took the sock and he put it in the bottom of his toy box and covered it over with all of his toys. He sat back down and he took another piece of paper out and he wrote this, Dear Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again, give me a bike. 
That's how some of you are, right? Some of you relate to that really well. You know, that's a, obviously a silly little story. Uh, but many of us try to manipulate God to get him to do whatever it is that we want him to do. And we want to control God. And that's exactly what the second commandment says we must never try to do. The second commandment, I think, speaks to us this morning about self-willed worship. Worshiping God as we choose rather than as he commands. You know, that was Cain's problem all the way back in the beginning. And, and by the way, we looked at the, the, the start of sin last week. It wasn't with Cain, but with Adam and Eve. Tonight, we're going to look at the beginning of salvation. But if you remember, Cain thought that he could come to God on his own terms, bringing to God whatever he wanted to bring, worshiping God in whatever way he thought he could. The first commandment we saw last week teaches us that we need to worship only the one true God. And what we're going to see this morning is the second commandment then tells us that we must worship him as he wants to be worshiped. There is only one God, and he has told us how we are to worship him. And so let's look in, into that this morning. Basically, just a, a two-point outline, if you will. We're going to look at the command, and then we're going to look at the reason for the command or the results of the command as we think about this this morning. This commandment comes to us in two parts, and it speaks to us about how we are to worship the one true God. And it says to us, you shall not make for yourself a carved image, then in the beginning of verse 5, you shall not bow down to them nor serve them. There are the two parts. You know, when Jesus met with the woman at the well in John chapter 4, he made a statement there that speaks to us about true worship. If you remember that story, uh, they got discussing things and she kind of turned to the, the table. You know, well, well, you Jews say you worship in Jerusalem and we Samaritans, we worship here at Mount Gerizim. And, and, you know, which is the right place? And you remember what Jesus said to her? He, he says, there's coming a time, neither is, you know, is the right place. And he says to her in John chapter 4, verse 24, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him how? In spirit and in truth. Well, what does that mean to us? Well, what it means is this. Since God is spirit, that means that he is not visible to us. And the problem comes in that we are a very visual people, aren't we? And, and perhaps now more than any other time in history, we are a visual people. We want to see things. You know, we want it to be on the internet. We want it to be on TV. We want to be able to see it on the big screen. We want to see things. You know, and we are kind of like the people of Missouri. We're kind of a show me kind of a people. And that is true in our worship as well as in our lives. We want to be entertained. We, we want things to be our way. We, we want to come to God and worship God the way we want it, the way that makes us feel good. But one of the things we discover in Scripture is this. God is a God of the verbal, not of the visual. And Moses reminded the people of that, and he said to them, when God appeared to you on Mount Sinai, Deuteronomy chapter 4, 12, he said this, the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire, you heard the sound of the words, but you saw no form. You only 
heard a voice. And then in beginning in Deuteronomy 4.15, Moses gives a warning to the people. Because you saw no form of God, you are commanded never to corrupt yourselves by making any visible representations of God, any visible images of God. What does Paul tell us in Romans 10, 17? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, by the word of God. You know, God does not, one writer puts it this way, God does not invite us to gaze on him as a thing, but rather we are to listen to his voice. You know, God provides no likeness of himself. He has spoken He has revealed himself to us through his word. And again, that's not how we like to to learn. That's not how we like to worship. That's not how we like to do things. We want to see. We want to be entertained. We want to, and God says, no, I spoke to you. I spoke to you. And it's in in my word. Listen to what I say. And so the first part of the commandment comes in verse four. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image. Now that certainly speaks to us of making idols or making images. And I think we all understand that that would be wrong. You know, if you have a little gold statue at home that you have created and it's your little guy, I think you understand that's wrong. But I think that this commandment goes even further than that because commandment number one already told me no other gods but him. And I think that commandment number two not only is telling me no idols, But I think it's also telling me no images of the one true God. Don't make for yourself some image of God that helps you in your worship, if you will. Why? Because the worship of God is to be spiritual, not material. We worship in spirit and in truth. And so Israel was forbidden from worshiping idols, and they were forbidden from making images of the one true God. Now, God did not do that because he wanted to stifle their artistic talent. God didn't do this because he didn't like paintings or statues or carvings or anything like that. He did it because he wanted to avoid improper substitutes that like the idols of Canaan would eventually steal the people's hearts away from the worship of the one true God. We must never put something that we have made in the place of worship or in the place of reverence. We must not create a God of our own making. And again, let me say this to you. I'm not talking here about uh, a Baal, an idol of Baal or anything. I think for us, it's going to be more, more personal than that. You know, more, more uh, personal in that we have created someone or something uh, in our own life that we put in the place of God. We must never, ever do that. Notice what the command says. It begins in verse 4, you shall not make. And that's a little bit of a problem for us because the truth of the matter is we are a people who like to create things. We like to make things. Uh, Some people are just, uh, actually people in general are just naturally creative. 
Now, some of us are a little bit more uh, able to make our creations come to life than others, but, but uh, we are people who like to make things. We are, we are naturally, cre- you don't believe me? Put a pile of Legos in front of a kid and watch them create something, right? Uh, I can remember with, with our kids and even, uh, I, guess, I guess it was our kids and my sister's kids and whatever, uh, my parents had a stack, and I mean a stack of oleo, margarine, little yellow parquet cups or whatever. Had like 40, 50, of, and our kids and the kids loved to get them out and build things with them. You know, I mean, it, we love to create. That's just part of our nature. And whether it's something we make, whether it's something we build, whether it's something we bake, our nature is uh, to, to create. And while some are more creative than others, we all have that in our nature. The problem comes in that once we have made something, we tend to take pleasure in it, don't we? We admire it. We take pictures of it. We post it on Facebook. Look what I've done. And what this command says is perhaps we even worship it. Now, again, most of us don't create an idol to worship. The truth of the matter is there are potential idols in all of our lives. Things that take the place of God. Things that take the place of first importance in our life. God says to us, I am the only God. I am to be preeminent in your life. We saw all that last week. I am to be number one. No other gods rivaling me. But we tend to do that. And many of the things that we put as idols in our life are not bad things. But when they become the number one priority of our lives, folks, they become idols. Things that we might not even think of as idols. Family. My spouse. My kids. You know, my parents. Perhaps friends. Sports, money. You know, we value some of these things more. Time, hobbies, any of those things can take the place of preeminence in our life. They become more important to me than God. And here, the second commandment, as well as the first commandment, says, I'm not pleased with that, God says. I must be preeminent in your life. Some of those things are important. Some of those things are valuable. Some of those things are, are, are well. But remember what Jesus even said, you know, your love for me, you know, you should hate your family and love me. Does Jesus want us to hate our family? No. But my love for him must be what? First. Must be first. Look what else we see here. Not only no idols, but no images even of the one true God. And while we might not make an actual image, we do at times, think about this, 
create an image of God that is in our own making. We want to create God. We want to imagine God as we want him to be. And that, my friends, is an attempt to control God. And that is an attempt to bring God down to my level. And that leads us to some very faulty conclusions about God. And much like that little boy wanting the bicycle, we try to make God or try to tend to try to make God do what we want him to do. Folks, think of Christian television. And when I talk about that, I'm talking about the, 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 the preachers and evangelists on TV. And what have they been espousing to us over the last 20, 30, 40 years? They, they are presenting to us a God who will make you healthy. A God who will make you wealthy. A God who will take away all your problems. You send me money, I'll send you this prayer cloth. And you put it over, and you, you send me money, and that's seed money. And man, I even saw a commercial for that the other night. We're trying to make God do what we want him to do. We want a God who fulfills our personal agenda. And you know what? The second commandment prohibits that. The second commandment prohibits me from trying to create a God that's going to do what I want him to do. You know, think about sin. Sin began, we saw this last week as a, in a response, on last Sunday night, in a response to temptation. And the temptation is this. You will be like who? God. You will be like God. And the effect of wanting to be on God's level is that we bring him down to our level. Folks, please, be, I hear this from Christians all the time. It's my one concern, you know, with, with, with sometimes our even, our, our, do I want to say Bible study or small group ministries or whatever, is we sit around and we kind of uh, give our own opinion on things. And I get really nervous when I hear Christians say things like this. Well, I think that God is like this. Or I, I like to think that God does this. Or this is what I think God is like. And J.I. Packer says that an imagined God will always be quite imaginary and quite unreal. We have to worship God properly. Not as we want. I like to think God is okay with this. I like to think God, no. We must be careful about that. We must not worship God in the following ways. We must not worship God by making deals with God. Lord, Lord, if you heal me, if you get me out of this situation, if you do this, whatever it may be, I'll worship and serve you. What do we used to call those? Foxhole conversions, you know. Uh, if, you, if you do this for me, then I'll do this in response. We must not worship in that way. We, we must not worship by having expectations about what God should do. Because of what I did, God then is obligated to, you know, Lord, I raised my kids. 
And Proverbs 22 says, train up a child in the way we should go. And, and he won't, Lord, let's make this deal. And we think God is obligated to do what we want him to do. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 tells us that God's ways and God's thoughts are what? Not my ways. They're on a different level from Mars. He is not obligated to do what we want. He is not obligated to do what we expect him to do. Pastor David mentioned Job. Job lost it all. I mean, folks, think about Job for a moment. He, he lost it all. He lost all of his wealth. He lost all of his kids. He lost his own health. And it all happened pretty much in one day. You think you had a bad day. And, and his wife did tell him, curse God and die. But in Job 13, 15, as he's talking with his quote unquote friends, he says an amazing thing. He says, even if he slays me, I will trust in him. I will trust in him. God is not obligated to do what we want him to do. God is so far above us, we cannot even understand his ways. We see things from our human perspective. We see things from our own little world. And the real concern for me in my own life and for us is that we try to bring God down to that little world and box him into my little world and get him to do what I want him to do. And the second commandment says, don't do that. You shall not make any images even of the one true God. Look at the second part of the command. Verse 5, you shall, if you make them, you shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. The second part of the command is that we must not worship the images that we have created. God is a unique, infinite, perfect being. And we must not do anything that reduces who he is. And so we're not to make the images, and those images certainly are not to be worshipped or to be served. So this command forbids making images of the one true God. And then using them to, as we like to say, aid us in our worship. What's the real problem with that? Besides the fact that it violates this command, I think the real problem with that is we ultimately end up worshiping the aid that we have created instead of the God that it is to represent. Let me give you a couple of illustrations of that. And we are not going to for time's sake, we're not going to turn there. But remember the story of the golden calf? Just a couple of weeks down the road uh, from Exodus chapter 20, you come to Exodus chapter 32. And Moses has gone up in the mountain to meet with God and to get the law in writing and, and all of those things. And the, the people are, are wondering, where in the world is Moses? He's been gone for a while. And uh, they go to Aaron and they say, you know what, we're, we're not sure where this guy is at. We're not sure if he's ever coming back. 
but, but we want a God that we can see. And remember, Aaron said, well, okay, bring me your earrings and your, your gold and all that. And he fashioned this golden calf. And it appears as you study the text that, that the people were not worshiping the calf per se. We could argue about that in a sense. But they were claiming that they were worshiping the one true God. The calf was simply to represent God. They wanted a visible representation that they could see. In 2 Kings 18, chapter 4, we see Hezekiah leading the people in a great revival. And one of the things that he has to destroy, are you ready for this? Is the bronze serpent from the wilderness. Remember that? The people got bit by snakes and uh, they were dying. And, and God says to Moses, you make this bronze serpent, you hang it up. And remember, John 3 even talks about the serpent in the wilderness. And, and, you, and if the people look at that, they will be healed. And they kept that. And evidently, as time went on, the people began to worship the serpent that was had the bronze snake. To the point that when Hezekiah has his great revival in 2 Kings chapter 18, he has to destroy the bronze serpent because they're worshiping the aid, not God. You know, when we visited Europe this past fall, I think I've shared this with you, but we visited many churches. And many of those churches had icons or images or statues that had become the object of worship instead of the God we were to worship. We saw the chains of St. Peter up at the altar and people crying and kneeling and worshiping them. You know, this church had a drop of blood from the cross. This church had the robe of Christ from the cross. And we're worshiping those things and we're not worshiping God. A number of years ago when we went to Israel, and some of you were with us, there in Jerusalem at the, the, the Church of the Sepulchre, I think it was, or the, the church of the, uh, where, where Christ was, was crucified. We saw people lying on the ground on this rock where, where supposedly the cross was kissing it, imagining that they're making a deeper connection with God by worshiping the thing instead of worshiping God. And all of that reduces God. All of that makes him smaller. And, and we can't possibly capture the glory and the majesty and the greatness of God, and he's not pleased with that. Don't make any aids to worship. You know, we always create a God in our own image to fulfill our agenda so that at the end of the day, we're in control and we're calling the shots. For some of you, you have a picture of God in your mind as a harsh judge, always down on you, always punishing you, always looking to zap you. That's not the God of Scripture. 
Is he going to judge? Absolutely, he's going to judge sin. But what about grace? What about the cross? What about what he's done for us? Others see God as an easygoing grandfather type, you know, winking at our sin, saying things like, I know down deep you love me, even though you're living together. Even though you're involved in this sin, even though you don't tithe, even though you don't come to worship half the time, I know that you know, I see you singing your little songs and reading your little devotional books, and it's okay. And we forget about the holiness of God and the righteousness of God. We always want to create a God that's okay with what we're doing. And God says, Get in my book. Read what I say. Here's how I want you to live. What are the results or the reason for the command? Look at verse 5. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. The reason for the command is very clearly stated. God is a jealous God. Now, he's not jealous in the sense that he's envious of other gods. Because we already know all other gods don't exist. But because he wants the best for us as his people. God is so serious about exclusive worship and love that he punishes those who refuse to obey him. And look at the punishment. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. And immediately you say, oh, that's wrong. Why would God do that? Well, the, the punishment on the children seems to be that what they learned from their parents, they repeated. They're being punished for their own behavior, not because of the behavior of their parents. They're involved in it. What is the old adage? What one generation does in moderation, the next generation will do in excess. Folks, as we think about this in the weeks ahead, think about what you're teaching your kids about the worship of God. Thinking about what you're teaching your children about worship. When, when we begin missing worship for, for ball games and for shopping trips and for family time and for golf and whatever, I know that I'm kind of treading on thin ice there. But then we wonder why our kids don't want to come to church. Or when they get old enough, they have no interest in spiritual things or in God. What have we taught them? We're trying to be good parents. We're trying to help them enjoy the things of life. But we need to teach them priorities. We need to teach them what's vitally important. Do you have an icon or an image today that in a sense you are worshiping more than God. Even think about our own worship. You know, I can't worship if we don't sing hymns. I can't worship if we don't sing praise songs. Well, I can't worship unless we use the King James Bible. Well, I can't worship without special music. Without coffee. Without a big old donut. Seriously, though, maybe this is one you haven't thought of. 
I can only learn from Pastor Dave. I can only learn from Billy Graham, from Beth Moore, or some other Christian leader. You see what we're doing there? We're putting people and things, and this is what I want in place of God. Are you trying to make, trying to control God by making deals with him? By expecting him to fulfill all your desires? And when he doesn't do what you want him to do, you get disenchanted with God, get angry with God. You walk away from God. He hasn't kept his end of the deal. Scripture says we are to esteem him above all else because he is the incomparable God of the universe. Is that the God we serve? Pastor David already mentioned it. There is one one icon that we are to look at. Colossians 1.15 says that Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn above all creation. He is the only one that we are to focus our worship on. What he told the disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's where our eyes are to be. Remember the course, turn your eyes upon Jesus. How are you doing in worship? How are you doing in your relationship with God? You trying to make deals with God? You trying to control God, put him in your little box? Well, this is what I think God should be, and when he's not, I, I'm not happy about that. Are we truly worshiping the God, the the awesome creator of the universe who reveals himself to us where? In his word. And folks, if I'm going to do that, that means I got to get in his word. I got to spend time there. How's your worship today? Thank you for listening. For more information on our church located in Cumberland, Maryland, please go to cumberlandcornerstone.org.